Hey guys, I'm Esther, owner of Sarah Design. And I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community and covering industry secrets and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hi guys, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. It is so lovely to be here with you guys on another Tuesday. Today I am joined by Fungi Dubey and I'm so excited to have a conversation with her about her brand and how she elevates African narratives through modern design. And I'm so excited. Fungi has been one of like my biggest inspirations. And we were just talking before this conversation about how it's so funny when you find people online who are inspired by your work, but you're always in a little bubble. But I'm so excited to have her here. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yes, me too. Me too. Jen and I, who's not on the podcast today, Jen and I were going through our list of who we wanted to invite for this season, which is season seven. You're actually our first guest of season seven. So congratulations on that. Oh, yay. That's so exciting. Yeah, but I was like, you were at the top of my list. And I think it's funny because I feel like I'm like fangirling here a little bit. Um, (laughs) But you were like the person I was like, I don't know if she's going to respond. I don't know if she's going to want to be on here, but I'm glad you are. No, I I definitely like was so excited when I saw your email. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yes. Yeah. So I've been counting down the days. I'm like, oh, let's do this. Let's go. Because I just really also want to have a chat with you. And I think that your work is so great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the compliment back. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're located, and what you do. Oh, okay, awesome. So I am in Harare in Zimbabwe, which is in the southern part of Africa. Born and bred here. Absolutely love it. Would not live anywhere else. I currently work as a brand and visual designer and recently, probably over a year and a half, have also become a Webflow person. So that's been great. But yeah, that's a little bit about me and uh, the work that I do. Haven't always been a designer. Started out as, I don't know if I can even call myself a scientist anymore. I trained to be a scientist. I worked in a non-design related job for like six years doing sports and like conditioning and then became a full-time creative. So it's a, it's a whole thing. But yeah. <laughs> I think you still can call yourself a scientist. Okay, I, I guess so. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> I guess, but I'm also thinking about it. And I'm like, if I were to see an equation right now, I'd probably just like blink and look at the sky and be like, what is this? Because <laughs> I have absolutely no idea how that world works anymore. Um, if anything, I just kind of borrow like things that I learned from there. So like maybe like methodology or like process and that sort of thing. But don't ask me anything scientific. It's not there anymore, I don't think. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. it's funny too, because I think the word scientist can be like referred to in the creative sense. Like some people call themselves creative scientists. And I think oh. because we do a lot of problem solving, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you, you know, as a web developer too, there's a lot of problem solving in there. It's just different than probably what you used to do. Yeah. Do you know what? I've never actually thought about it that way. So I guess I'm still going to continue to call myself a scientist for sure. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And so you started doing design then a few years ago. Is that right? Yes. So according to my LinkedIn, because that's how I know when I've reached professional milestones, it's been seven years and a few months now, which is really great. 
So I sort of started self-learning in t- end of 2014 when I finished university because I was so frustrated from the job hunt. So it was so hard to get a job in my field anywhere in the world. Like I applied to the most random corners of the world and there was nothing. So I sort of decided that I needed to teach myself a new skill so that I could curb the frustration of the job hunt. I happened to open my YouTube and I landed on the Photoshop tutorial. I don't know what it was recommended for me, but I was like, hey, I'm just going to click play and let's see what happens with this. I was immediately fascinated because I was like, you're telling me that people can do this with their computers? That's crazy. Mm. What a concept because it had never dawned on me up until that point. And I think it kind of made sense for me because I have had like during my childhood and that sort of thing, I was like that child who like DIY little cards for family members for special occasions. I would sort of... um you know, see what I could make with my hands. So maybe it wasn't the stars and I just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's pretty much like how that whole thing then came about. And then eventually I was like, no, I want to turn it into my full-time thing because I absolutely love it. And here we are today. So from that first Photoshop tutorial, I think it's wild that so many people can learn creative industries just from watching videos. But from that, how long would you say it was until you finally decided fully that this was your new identity, you were going to become a designer and you fell head over heels in love with it? So I think there are two parts to that. I decided that I wanted to become a designer full-time probably in my third year of learning, but I was still kind of scared. Because I was like, oh, I can't leave my formal job or my day job, let me say that, because also it's like a security blanket. I don't know how to run a creative business. I don't know how to get clients. I don't know how to do anything. So I just kind of stayed in my shell and I was like, oh, I'm just going to post my work from afar, maybe, if I do decide to do so, even though I really want to do this, but I just, I'm probably going to take my time with it. So Year three, nothing. Year four, nothing. Year five started coming out of my shell a little bit. And then I actually realized that there was a good response to my work, which is something that really overwhelmed me. I think I cried the first time I posted one of my packaging projects on LinkedIn and I woke up and there were so many notifications on my phone. I was like, what happened? Like, did I get hacked? Like, like, what is this? And then I go in and it's like really nice, positive things. Like people are saying like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. We've never seen packaging done this way before. And I was like, what? This is a thing? Okay. So I think that gave me a little bit more confidence where I was like, you know what, maybe when you like start working towards planning for your breakout. And then I eventually did. So I knew from a while back, I just wasn't confident enough to do it. Yeah. What was that project? If you remember the exact project? I do. So it's Afro Roasters. Um, so I designed coffee packaging based off of um, different landmarks, features, just patterns that come from different regions within the continent that are big coffee producers. I remember this project. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just like looking it up on the side here. It's stunning. If you guys haven't taken a look, you should definitely check out her her project, Afro Roasters. It's beautiful. No wonder people were giving you so many compliments on it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I think that was definitely a defining moment where I was like, yeah, I think I think we can do this. Like, just keep pushing out more work and let's see where it takes you. You have absolutely no idea where it's going to land. We're just going to see it, what they're going to feel about it. But just just do it. Just take a bold step and just do it. Yeah. When did you know that you wanted to focus on telling African stories through your design? Like, has that always been a priority for you or just an interest when you were starting out? So it hasn't always been. I think at the time when I actually posted that project, I think I probably had my light bulb moment maybe a year before that. But I just had kept things under wraps. Because initially in the beginning, I think when you're learning graphic design, you sort of just absorb everything, right? So I would design anything and everything. You could have said, hey, Fungi, my six-year-old pug is having a birthday tomorrow. Do you want to design something for them? (laughs) (laughs) Or for him or her? You know, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sure. Like it would be the most random thing ever. So I didn't really prioritize like the nature of the work that I did. I was just happy to be working and designing because it just brought me so much joy. But what then happened is that I think, you know, after some time you start to sort of, and the more confident you get and the more skilled you get, you also start to feel that there are certain things that spark joy and then there are certain projects that just do not. So when they come to you like, oh, okay, I could get paid for this, but am I really going to enjoy working on it? Probably not. So I then started feeling that way and I was like, no, something has got to change. But I actually had not even internalized the fact that I could actually leverage culture in my design because I hadn't really seen it anywhere. So I came across a book called African Alphabets. It is by a Zimbabwean graphic designer called Prof. Sakima, uh, Professor Sakima Fundigwa, but he's like well-known in the space and he's given a TED talk. He's, he's super cool, uh, super, super cool. Has the most luscious, long gray locks you've ever seen. Like he's, he's oh, incredible. So I came across this book and I was so inspired by it because it explores uh, typography from an African perspective. So exploring scripts and, you know, just how different they are and, you know, how people may not necessarily associate some of them as being a way of writing, but they actually are. And I was like, this is mind-blowing. Also, this is something that exists because, again, it's funny how I'm African, but I didn't have much exposure to African cultures or Mm. African history. So that's also another story for another day. But after that book, I was like, no, 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 no. I am completely taking down all of this work that I have on my Instagram because I did have another burner Instagram. That's what I'm going to call it now. (laughs) (laughs) And I stripped everything down. I was like, no, we're starting again. Like I have this newfound motivation. Like I just really want to work on this and I want to see how far I can push it because I think it's important to be able to express who I am and to also have people who interact with my work see more of what Africa is about. So yeah, that completely shifted. And I was like, this is how we're going to do it now. Yeah. I think it's interesting to hear you say that because so many designers, myself included, you hear their stories of how everybody kind of 
starts by getting every project that you can. Somebody reaches out to you and you want to just take it to get experience. But the more that you learn through your craft about what you're skilled in and what you're passionate in, you can bring that into the sphere and allow people to learn from you and grow. Because mm-hmm. I think like for me, I was inspired by you in learning about how you infuse African culture into your work. And it made me in turn think about the way that I infuse Asian culture because I'm half Chinese and how my experience living around the world has made me want to like connect with people and tell their stories in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with like working on projects that aren't related to culture, right? It's just Mm -hmm. cool to be able to share what we've experienced and tell it in this way that's like so symbolic, so nuanced and like you said, there's not a lot of people doing it out there. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said to say that it's not in any way like putting down any other form of design work. It's just saying, hey, this is another thing that you can actually also do with it. And if it's something that really interests you, then go for it. All forms of design are beautiful, but you can still leverage culture and still come up with really amazing things as well. Yeah. Do you feel like since you've kind of embraced that side, it's been impactful for your own business to grow even bigger than it was before? Yeah, because when I then look at, you know, like when I think of five years down the line, 10 years down the line, I'm even thinking bigger than myself now to say, oh, just from conversations that I've had from even other African designers interacting with my work, you realize that, hey, maybe there isn't enough documentation out there for people to actually learn this particular style of design. Maybe there isn't enough literature out there to really guide people on how to maybe play around with typography so that it fits within the mold of African design, you know, things like that. So it gets me thinking about how I can contribute towards that. So I really want to be able to go into design education. I really want to be able to come up with learning aids, uh, maybe also uh, come up with a platform that allows for people to find solely African-inspired design across different disciplines, uh, whether it's type, motion, and that sort of thing, so that at least if someone wants to sort of go in that direction, they know that they have some resources to start with. So it's it's definitely like a big, big thing that I want to be involved in because you really don't find the material online. But if there is like a resource bank or a repository of some sort where people can be like, hey, I'm interested in this. Let me see what I can find in there. Then I really want to be able to contribute towards that conversation for sure and action on it. Yeah. I am so curious about this and I'd love to dig into a little bit more to kind of hear, maybe you can share a little bit of the types of, whether it's typography or symbolism, textures and things that you are most inspired by and that you draw inspiration from in your work? Like what are some things that have been so impactful for you that that you take throughout your designs? Oh, I love that question. Okay. So I think it's a large question. <laughs> I know. I feel like there's so much within that, right? Because you are inspired by so many things, but I'm curious if you have a feel. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I think the core of what I tend to draw inspiration from when it comes to like the the foundation of most of my work, like you are likely going to see bold colors. You are most likely going to see some form of graphic composition. So it could be illustration based, it could be pattern based, which is a big thing for me as well. And you're mostly Mm -hmm. going to see something textural, I would say. 
and this I find is actually inspired by my African roots because when we look throughout African media, so I say media in general, like whether it's photography, whether it's olden day um, textile design, whatever the case is, these were some of the key components that actually uh, comprised that work. So if I am to sort of dive in a little deeper and if we're going to get super specific and I'll give an example and use textiles, you'll find that there were a lot of patterns that were generated, but also patterns that had so much meaning behind them. So it was a means of storytelling. The colors were very bold in your face, right? Because, you know, Africans, we've got to shine. <laughs> it's our thing. Mm-hmm. We just really like, you know, eccentric characters sometimes. So I think it comes with the personalities and everything like that. But also like in terms of actual texture. So materials that they used and everything like that. Also very, very deep, very well thought out processes, you know, and that sort of thing. So I sort of channel that in all of my design work. And then when it comes to extra inspiration, I just look around. I have conversations with the most random people ever here in Harare. I'll find someone who's like a street vendor on the side of the road or someone who's a sculptor, because that's something that's very common here where you get like artists who sell their work and all of that. I'll just strike a conversation with them. How do you go about this? How do you make this? Like, oh, what materials do you use? I go to a lot of art exhibitions, a lot of craft markets. I speak to my grandmother. Even when I would have opportunities to go into a kitchen, even like the design of the kitchens of the round mud huts and how they laid out their plates was just so artistic because there was like, you know, sort of a sequence to it. And like, you can see that it's the whole design system in itself. So it's just being able to interact with those little things that I see every day. And also stories that I hear and also things that I read about. And then just sort of putting that together and seeing how I can come up with something cool from that. But yeah, that's, I would say that's pretty much how I go about it. Yeah, I think colors and patterns are definitely like key components and textures, like you said. I think about my project, Kuto project that I um, had worked on. It's a therapy center in Nairobi, Kenya. And the one thing that I drew inspiration from was mud cloth, like the patterns oh, that are on there, the texture of it. And there's so much symbolism within it and how you can just look at one, one pattern and you can grab so much inspiration from it. And so I, I can imagine how much more like in Katangi fabrics and, and all of the colors. And it's so interesting too, because there's 50 some countries in Africa and every country has their own style, right? Like every region has their own style. Yeah, yeah. And some of it is shared, but you'll actually find that even within the countries, like you're going to go down like clan level, like tribal level. So you keep getting mm. deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's so many layers that you need to uncover. So the inspiration is bountiful. Like I don't think that it's ever going to expire. Yeah. I was going to say, like, do you find for each new project you are you have like a new set of visuals that you work with or do you find yourself repeating some patterns? So I actually find that every single time there's something fresh to work with. I don't know if you've seen my recent passion project called the Big Five Coffee Company. So what I did with that is I was just trying to... So it was based on a challenge uh, that was put out, just a design challenge called Into the Wild. And I was like, hey, like, how am I going to actually approach this? Because every creative needs a passion project. We just need something that allows us to just explore and have fun with our deadlines Mm -hmm. and, you know, feedback loops and everything like that. So 
I wanted to explore the big five. So the elephant, the lion, the leopard, the rhino, and the buffalo. With that project, what I wanted to be able to do was to uh, showcase um, the the animals from an aerial perspective. So I imagined like a watering hole, right? So having them drain from the watering hole. But even when it comes to the background patterns that I developed for that, I was inspired by terrains. So different kinds of terrains that you'll find uh, in the regions where you find these animals. So semi-arid or, you know, rocky or plain grass or savanna grass, which is like long, dry grass. So, you know, it was just a way of thinking around that and seeing how I could represent that from a textural point of view and incorporate it into a pattern. So I guess the reason why I'm mentioning this is to say that with each project and that sort of thing, my thing is to make sure that I always sort of channel a new a new inspiration. Let's see what else we can tell because my thing is I would not, or I would like to find myself in a position where I'm able to tell as many African stories as possible, as opposed to replicating the same story 10 different times, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. there's a need to get more of that out there. So every single opportunity is 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 a time where I can definitely channel a different part of the region, different part of the continent, different tribe, you know, so that at least what they do and their practices and, you know, their culture and everything is brought to light as well. I hope that makes sense. It does. <laughs> and I was just pulling up the big five-year, the website that you had created as your passion project. And it is so cool to see how you've done coffee projects in the past. Mm-hmm. Like This is still such a very different style and you're telling a very unique story here. And I think that's really a testament to show that creativity doesn't expire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and culture doesn't expire. It's not that you do one project and then you're like done. Like I can't say, okay, I checked off and like now I've done an African project. Like that's not how it works, yeah. right? There's just so much within it. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, like as a half Asian, half American, there's so much within myself and the people that I can connect to and the stories that I can tell through it. My own brand, Sarah Design, is connected to my culture, Mm -hmm. but so are other projects that I work on. And it's really, I think you and I are in this really powerful place where we can tell stories that some others don't have the insight to. And it's, I love being in this place Mm -hmm. and I really encourage other people who have any type of cultural connection to like dig into that because I think what connects all of us as humans is that we all have this culture to share. Your African culture is just as powerful and so cool and unique as mm, my Chinese yeah. culture. And I mean, it's all related around tradition and practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there's so much within that. And food. And, you well, know, I mean, yeah. I get... It's all around the table, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. No, I absolutely love that. And like you're saying, it really puts you like in a position of power because you are somewhat like a pioneer, right? Where you're like actually paving the way for future designers who look up to you to actually have some way of knowing that it's actually possible to do it and to do it well and to do it in such a cool and fresh way. So yeah, that's really, really cool. 
and I'm also really enjoying like yeah. learning more about about you and your cultures. Also, I think that's oh awesome. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think what you're saying too about like being having things in a fresh way is so unique because the design can be so boundary pushing and modern. Mm-hmm. Like I think your tagline is always like modern design, right? Telling your stories through modern design. It doesn't have to be this like old. I think people sometimes think about culture and. They're like, oh, it's history. Oh. Like, it's an old thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's got to look a little bit like more traditional. And oh, this is. Or it's like an, a relic that you found in a museum <laughs> or in your art history book. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess what we were saying is you take that relic and then you see how you can sort of reinvent it, uh, but still keep exactly. the meaning that it holds. I'm curious if there are any things that you've come across in any type of project related to African culture that you have had to say, like, that does not work. Like, that isn't accurately reflecting of who we are or a story that we want to tell. Like, have there been any roadblocks when working with a client or even particularly a passion project? I wouldn't say there has been uh, because... One of the key things or the core things when it comes to my work is that I take research very seriously. So I will probably spend 80%. That's your scientist background too. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so I will probably spend like 80% of the time just doing research because if anything, like the truth of the matter is that when it comes to minority, I don't really like using that word, but when it comes to minority narratives, they tend to be misconstrued a lot. Or they tend to be kind of just bent and, you know, sort of twisted in a way that really is not ideal. So I would want to put myself in a position where I at least make sure that I'm not contributing towards that. So I really, and I have not had any roadblocks because I'm really take due diligence to make sure that I really research. If I need to hop on a call with someone or find someone on Instagram from a particular region to confirm something I've read on Google, I'll do that just to make sure that at least like when I then start turning it into visual, you know, like the story's intact, nothing has been sort of, you know, broken. Nothing has been pierced. Everything is like whole and complete. So yeah, that's pretty much like how I go about it. So it's, I, I can confidently say that I haven't encountered that as yet. And I hope that I never will. Because I think the last thing is yeah. for me to put something out there and be like, oh my gosh, that's not it. And I'm like, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> so yeah. Right. I mean, I think for any of our listeners, like if that's the one thing you take away from this conversation is if you're working on a project that has a lot of significance, do your mm-hmm. research. I mean, do your research regardless. You don't want anything to be misconstrued or your voice to be stifled if somebody says like, oh, that's what she meant to mm-hmm. create or that's what he meant to design. And you want it to be very clear about what you do, right? Yeah, definitely. All the time. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm curious when you're doing design, like, what do you find most exciting about the conversations that you've created through each project? That is interesting. I think it's the impact because like how you were even saying in the beginning, like when you're working on these things, you actually don't realize how many eyes are going to be on it. And more so how many eyes who see it are actually going to feel connected to it. 
So it's been so interesting for me being able to have different kinds of conversations with creatives across the continent and even over borders and seas and that sort of thing where they're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know that this happened here or I didn't know that this is why this is done or this is actually very interesting. I've been reading about this and it's actually so cool to see someone who's working on something similar. So just being able to get all of those like different perspectives where people not only have a deep appreciation for the aesthetic value of the work that you're doing, but also the significant meaning behind it and just being able to also encourage others and inspire, which is what I'm also learning to dig a little deeper and also find out things like this for themselves. So yeah, that has been such a trip for me. Every single day I get super shocked, but I'm also always super grateful because I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that this sparked this kind of thought in you. Or I didn't realize that this, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of inspired you to shift your work in this direction. Or I didn't realize that it, it inspired you to start this project or this initiative and that sort of thing. So that is such a blessing, such a blessing. Yeah. And speaking of that, like creating lasting impact, do you feel like you've built a community within designers in Africa to really rally around each other and like help each other share those stories? I definitely think that we're getting there, which is what excites me a lot. It's a it's a really good time to be an African creative at the moment because I think that mm-hmm. everyone is sort of coming out of their shell and we are we are realizing that there's so much that we can do. There's such a dynamic shift in the sense that I think when it comes to the convention of design, like there have been ways in which it has sort of been modeled that it should look. But now, you know, it's a time where people are like, actually, you know what? It can look very different. And we are doing that. So I see even in... um fintechs in Nigeria, like work that's being done in some parts of South Africa, creatives that are coming out of Kenya. It's just really, really exciting to see how everyone is just becoming more comfortable with the idea that we can actually find inspiration in our backyard. And that is so cool to me. Absolutely, like, amazing to me. It's like a a shift of tides too. And I think this kind of goes back to like the big man always saying that it's the Western world, like you need to cater to the Western world, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. The Western world can sustain itself. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a new, like you get to really focus on your country, your community and building that up. And it doesn't need to extend to us here in the United States or anywhere else. Like it's about what connects you with your community and like I was saying too it's about like around the table like family Mm -hmm. and friendships and like and brands really do that Mm -hmm. you see that in brands anything that's a household brand is what people rally around too um yeah and just to add on to what you're saying like even with us like you know working towards building stronger design communities and everything collaboration is still something that is key and I think it drives the work even further So even within the same breath, I'm like, I am still so appreciative and I'm so grateful for opportunities like this where I get to meet you and I get to speak with you and we get to exchange ideas as well because I learn a lot more from that process as well. And I hope that you also take away something from me. So we are building internally, but externally as well. It's like, let's collaborate. Let's see how we can bring our worlds together and create some magic as well. And, you know, design 
we all speak design, so we can always create like really amazing things together. So we have at least one language in common. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but many, many more. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Like, so I came out of the agency world. And since I've been running my studio, one of my key focuses is like bringing people on within my design business that are not the same as me. Like, I don't even want to have like an agency that's fully Asian, right? I feel like there's, there's so much that can be outside, like Latino, mm. African, like just, I mean, anywhere, there's so much that you can learn from other people's backgrounds, from their family experiences, traditions that they held as a child. Mm. One of my best friends even lives in Spain and it's cool to see her family dynamic compared to my family dynamic, especially growing up in a mixed race household. It's cool to have the combination of people to share stories. We actually have an inbox question that I think kind of relates to this conversation. Our inbox question was from Andrea Shaw, and she asks, I love to learn what brand designers think about verbal identity and how they work with copywriters. And so I would love to flip that and ask you what you look for if you work with a copywriter to ensure that your story, particularly in African stories, is told at the highest level, considering all the nuances in culture and experience. You know, I, I think the most important thing is just being able to work with someone who can relate to the story. Um, I think that goes a long way. It's one thing to have someone who's absolutely amazing at writing copy, but if it's something that they've never been exposed to, then they're not going to be able to express it in the way that it is meant to be expressed. And that goes across the board for whatever it is. So if anything, I think the exposure, I think the level of relatability, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm putting it out there. <laughs> and I think just general uh, value system to say, does it actually align? Do you actually see, is it something that you know resonates with you or you're just doing it because it's a job, if that makes sense? But I think that's probably how I'll put it across. And besides, I'll be... You know, talking about copywriters, I'm like, are people still copywriting or is ChatGPT taking over? But that's a that's a chat that for is, another day. <laughs> that is a great question. I actually started using ChatGPT a little bit as more of like a brainstorming partner. Mm-hmm. I don't know how if you have you used it. So I have experimented with it. Just I do find that it becomes easier to run certain tasks. Because you have ideas mm. for things, but in the long term, it kind of scares me. Uh, I feel like it dehumanizes everything, and yeah, and I don't want to see anyone losing their jobs because of it. I get that it's a tool, and we should embrace it and work with it to make things more efficient. But to what limit? Because it just seems like it's something that can give you almost everything, and that's a problem for me. It's scary. It's really frightening. My biggest fear with it is like, are people going to plagiarize without knowing that they're plagiarizing? Exactly. Exactly. Because I was asking my chat GBT, like, come up with blog names for this like category that I wanted to write about. And then I was like, I bet you could ask it to write a blog. And you can. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if, if somebody else asks it to write a blog for the same topic, is mm-hmm. it going to come up with the same thing? That's the thing, too. That is actually the thing. So, sheesh, um, the world is moving in a very weird direction. Um, but, you know, to the point of like telling cultural stories, like I think that that 
that type of copywriting can't be replicated by a bot. Yeah. Like there are so many nuances in the way that you speak, like colloquial language that a bot wouldn't know or regional language that a bot wouldn't know. So there's still a lot within it. Yeah, no, there there really is. But no, um, I think just going back to the question, really the, the main things would be to say that I think what I consider is definitely someone who's more connected to the story and someone who gets excited by the story and preferably someone who also um, can see themselves in the story. I think that's that it's much easier for some, from someone to write from a perspective where they actually have exposure to the topic that they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help to work with somebody who is just going to do it just to do it, right? Like, you can be an eloquent writer, but there's humanity within storytelling. And I think you see that with writing. You also really see it through design. Mm -hmm. I think you can tell there's this energy connected to anything that we create Mm -hmm. that you can see. I, I was reading, I think, an Instagram post yesterday that was like, images have energy to them. You see an image and you immediately feel a whole set of feelings. And we know this when you talk about like marketing styles Mm -hmm. and color theory and all of that, but like you can feel like, sometimes I feel tingly when I see something Mm -hmm. and it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. Actually talking about that, like there's a series that I saw, but it's again, they're AI generated images, but I think the concept is so brilliant where basically this guy, and he went super viral for it on LinkedIn and Instagram and that sort of thing. And I think he also got an interview with BBC for it. But it was basically centered on elders in the society. So it was like a like a runway project. So seeing like mm. black elders in the 70s and 80s on the runway rocking like this really cool like African outfits and everything like that. It's such a vibe. I think his Instagram is Slick City, if you want to take a look at it. But you see, like you're saying, even within that, like just visual communication is such a big deal because so many feelings are evoked from just being able to see something. So we immediately mm-hmm. know, like when we don't like something, when we see it, you're like, uh, you know, the design of the shoe, you know, it's not, it's not really for me or this color is not for me. But in the same light, when we see something that really like tugs at our heartstrings and is so like visually engaging, like we get super excited about it. So everything like to do with design is definitely emotive and, you know, visuals really drive, really, really drive how people then like internalize them and internalize brands and interact with brands and interact with us as designers and interact with us as design studios and so on and so forth. So it's a whole big cycle, I guess. Yes. One of the things that I learned in school and it kind of stuck with me into the design world and marketing is when you create any type of design, like create it as if you're creating art because art is what connects people. So if you're creating a poster, for example, or you're creating a coffee sleeve, making sure that it feels like something people would want to put up in their home like that they would want to keep around because it makes them feel so connected to it. It's not just slapping a logo on there and saying, all right, good to go. Mm -hmm. Like it's creating a story, creating this humanity within it that is so powerful Mm -hmm. and, and excels beyond just the standard design. Mm -hmm. And speaking about that, I'm actually curious to know, um, just talking about like, you know, visuals and that sort of thing. 
Has your process like changed over the years? Like what was it like initially when you started and how do you see it being different now when it comes to how you prioritize, like how people engage uh, with the visuals that you put out? Oh, my design style and my process has changed dramatically since I first began. When I first began, I was working in agency and it was about churning things out. It wasn't about really digging into thought processes and being strategic about the way that things are symbolized and how it can be interpreted and how you want to connect with a consumer. It was more about the design principles themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, do these colors look good together? Do these fonts look good together? Let's put them out and and make sure that it's loud. Like, we would call it like horsey content, which just meant like, make the text as big as possible. Make everything loud so that it attracts people, Mm -hmm. which if you're driving down the road, sure, you might be attracted by a billboard because the text is really large, but you don't have a human connection to Mm -hmm. it. And so when I started my own design studio, I really tried to focus in on, let's tell a story here. There's so much story that can be told within textures, within the way that I illustrate, Mm -hmm. even within typography, the way that words and letters melt together there's so much power in that too. And so my process has gone from the execution as being the heavy portion mm-hmm. to, like you said, in yours as well, like the strategy being the heavy portion mm-hmm. and the design being not a secondary, but it comes out so much easier when you know what story you want to tell. Mm, okay. I really love that because it's always so intriguing, like hearing what that looks like, especially like you're saying, if you are also in the space where you leverage your culture as well in design. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like what type of, how I want people to feel. Mm -hmm. Like, do I want them to feel like warm and at home, like their mom is handing them a bowl of soup? Do I want them to feel like they're about ready to go dancing? Like, do I want them to feel like they're on a runway? Like what's the emotion that you want them to feel? Mm -hmm. And then kind of back from there. And then work for it again. Mm, no, awesome. And I really appreciate this conversation because I feel like I'm just learning so much from you as well. And I want to throw this back at you because I know you asked me as well to say, so what are like the key things that, especially when it comes to leveraging your culture and design that you really focus on? So I was talking about how, you know, like when it comes to textiles and that sort of thing, this is what you see. So like the base of my work is probably going to start from, you know, like a color pattern geometry kind of kind of place and evolve from there. Do you have something like that to be like, okay, so this is just the base and then we're going to build up on that base off of your Asian culture? Yes. So it's very interesting because I think it's in a way similar. I am very inspired by like painting. There's a lot of Chinese calligraphy and a lot of ceramics are hand painted. And so there's a lot of patterns within that. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting, the difference, I think, between some African patterns versus Asians, Asian patterns tend to be a little bit more fluid and organic. Mm -hmm. So there's messiness within it, although it's beautiful. Like you think about Chinese calligraphy, like the Mm brushstrokes are very messy, Mm -hmm. but there's this elegance to it. And so I always draw inspiration from there and also the colors that are used within that. They're also very vibrant colors, but they tend to be like blues and reds mm-hmm. as the strongest colors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very drawn from there. And then I work into that 
through illustration, creating different patterns that are more organic and kind of flow together. That makes so much sense because like the little uh, loading Sarah's mark on your website before you get into, you know, the good stuff is so beautiful. And just how like it was animated and how it flows and what you're saying makes so much sense to me. Because I'm like, okay, I definitely see where it comes from now. Yeah. And there are so many TikToks that I watch. TikTok is is great, <laughs> but it's also bad, but it's great. And like you're saying, like just the delicate nature of how like um, Chinese art is and like calligraphy is. So there are a few TikTok accounts that I follow. There's this guy who was making windows out of bamboo and his process is just crazy. I've seen that. Yeah. And there's another guy as well who makes like these really like fine teapots like from scratch. So even things like that, I was like, I see like, you know, the intention behind it. I see how delicate everything is. But once you see the full picture, like you're talking about like fluidity and like that sort of thing, like you definitely get a sense of that as well. So that's also something that's quite intriguing. Yeah, it's interesting because it is that delicacy that kind of flows through. Like, I feel like Asian design, when you look at it from the outside, you're like, oh, that's like striking. You know it. Like, Chi Pao is like the the typical um, dress mm-hmm. that you wear, like on a, on a fancy occasion. It like has a high neck, and then there's lots of like embroidered patterns mm-hmm. in it. And you look if you look at it from like far away, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on, and that's true. But <laughs> if you look at it up close, it's like so meticulous, yeah. like yeah. so so like everything is hand stitched. It's really beautiful. No, and it really is. Because I have obviously, I haven't seen it in real life, but I've seen it in in movies and it looks really, really great. And like you're saying, like so beautiful, like the stitching and everything is just, it's pristine. Yeah. Another thing that I'm inspired by, so I could go on with this forever, <laughs> but you were talking about like African alphabet. I get inspired by like Chinese um, characters because within, I don't know how much you know about Chinese characters, but basically for anybody who's listening as well, there are like roots and then there's additions and all Chinese characters are based on imagery. So if you think back ancient, like hieroglyphics, like everything is created to symbolize something. So the shape of a tree, I'm drawing like this, it looks like an actual tree. Mm -hmm. That's what the character for a tree is. And then if you're to create any other character that maybe made out of wood, like a word that's made out of wood, you would have that tree symbol oh, within the character. That is so cool. Somewhere. It might be really small. It might be as like a big point of it. So in that sense, like characters create these patterns and stories. And sometimes I'm really inspired by those as well to bring those into my work. Yeah, that is so amazing. Like you're saying, like um, if you have something that's made out of wood, then you will have like the correspondence responding character Mm -hmm. or if something is like aquatic like there's water in it you would have the water symbol somewhere within that as well that is so amazing so that's what makes Chinese really difficult to learn as well because there's so many pieces that you have to know it's like a puzzle each time you read I'm not an expert at reading Chinese I'm not fluent oh okay okay but I mean I wish (laughs) (laughs) I mean you can always work towards it I know. I did live in China for six years when I was younger, and I learned how to speak 
and like understand mm-hmm. it pretty fluently. But since I've not lived in China for the past 10 years, it's lost on me. And I went to international school that was there. So I spent my learning in English oh, and then okay. we would take our Chinese classes. So I didn't get the reading and writing mm-hmm. because that's the hardest. Like it was always focused on the speaking because you need to be able to mm-hmm. speak. But I still like really like the fact that you're still connected to your roots. And I think this is why this part of the conversation is so important, because just as much as I've been able to share about my African inspirations and you're able to share about your Chinese inspiration, it just goes to show that regardless of where you're from, there is definitely like a space and a pocket where you can tap into those things and bring them out in your design work. If you ever so desire. Because, I, again, mm-hmm. no one is really pushing everyone to be like, you must be culturally inclined. No, <laughs> and yeah, you don't have to. But I mm-hmm. think there's this like, there's something cool about it. Mm-hmm. If you do end up bringing in any culture for even just like a short, small project, mm-hmm. like there's so much, like maybe you'll fall in love with it like we have. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I always say is, I think the African experience doesn't come without its traumas, right? So we can even talk about this from political point of view, from an economic point of view. We can even um, look at it internally and maybe like family upbringing and that sort of thing. There could have been like general pressures that were placed on you that may have been a little bit unfair, you know, things like that. But even within that, I am very aware of this and I always let my friends know anyone who approaches me uh, asking about anything culturally in kind or how they can, you know, sort of bring out more of Africa in their designs to say, you'd interpret it your own way if you would like to, because I cannot force you to love Zimbabwe if you're a Zimbabwean who doesn't really like Zimbabwe. And that's okay. Because I think that we all have our own stories and we have things that we've gone through that have brought us to the places that we're in. But if anything, the encouragement is to say, like we've been saying, like there definitely is room, despite everything that may be said about where you're from or things that you may have experienced personally, that there is always room for us to at least shift the way that people perceive our stories, the way people engage with our stories. And there's no better person to tell your story than yourself. Because if I were to, yeah, so if I were to go out there and be like, please, could you write a book on my, on my life story? You could probably come up with something based off of what I tell you. Like, oh, I grew up here. You know, my parents were vets. I did this. But the way that you write it and tell it is going to be so different to how you're going to have it come out of my mouth and listen to it. So I think being able to take ownership of that story being able to tell it in the way that is supposed to be told and telling it in a way that allows people to be, to engage with it in the way that they are supposed to, right. Holds so much more power and so much more impact. And I think that's what we need to really focus on as well. If you would like to. (laughs) Yeah. I love how you're always like, if you would like to, (laughs) I was going to say like, don't hire a ghostwriter for your story. Tell your own story. So many people like who have biographies, they hire people to write the story. And I'm sure there's, I mean, I read them and I think that they're powerful still, but like you speaking from your own mouth, using your hands, using your designs Mm, to create mm. the story that you want people to see. And that's, that's the most powerful thing. Like your hands hold the most power. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. So if you're listening out there, 
this is this is the word of the day. <laughs> There's power in your story and you should be able to tell it the way that it's supposed to be told. If you want to. If you want. Because <laughs> we've got to premise everything with that. I'm not a, we're not imposing anything. Just just, you know, strongly suggesting. <laughs> it's so funny because in any of our conversations, Jen and I, we give our own business stories and advice and we're like, but do what you want to do. <laughs> like if you don't want to take this advice, don't take it. <laughs> like do what you want to do because it's your life and you get to choose. Yeah. I love this conversation. I would love to have more of these conversations with you just to talk about culture and and learn more about yours. But for the meantime, I will continue following you. And I would love to encourage our listeners to, if you could share where they can find you. Um, So I am on Instagram. I'm not sure if I should say my handle out because it is kind of long, but at Fungi Dube Graphics. So F-U-N-G-I-D-U-B-E Graphics. Uh, you can also find me on Behance. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, Fungi Due. And you can also... And we'll link all of those in the show notes as well so that you can access her and start a conversation if you would like to. Uh, <laughs> I, I love how you're now premising that as well. But yes, if you would like to, I am very easy to talk to. So whatever it is that you want to chat about, please do reach out and we can have a lovely conversation about it. Yes. And also you are working with Flux Academy as a brand design coach, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Yeah, I am. So I started working with them in August. Well, I got onboarded in August. And that's a very interesting story because prior to that happening, I had spoken to someone from Flux, but it was in a different capacity where there could have been an opportunity there, but things happened. So Later on last year, they reached out to me again and they're like, oh, looking for a brand coach and we think that you'd be great for the position, of which I was completely like, like mind blown because I was like, I really wanted to do this and, you know, things happened then and now it's like kind of coming back. Wow, this is so cool. So I've been with them for a bit now and it's really also been an opportunity that has allowed for me to grow um, and to get better at things that I may not have been as great as. I find myself thinking a little bit faster. I find myself being better with strategy. I also find myself uh, learning a lot from the students because even when I interact Mm -hmm. with them and their work, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is such a cool way of presenting this. Or, you know, the way that you came up with this concept is just so crazy. So it really puts me in a position where I'm able to also open up my creative mind and see what I can change in my process or change in my presentation style and everything like that. But it's been so, so, so rewarding. The team is absolutely amazing. And I'm super grateful that I get to interact with students all over the world every single day and learn from them and also have and also see them grow, like just seeing like the evolution of the ideas and like uh, having the back and forth and seeing how excited they get. Like when we have feedback loops is everything for me. So really, really grateful for that. I love that. That's so exciting. And what a great opportunity to be able to connect with people and share the experience that you have and, and what you're continuously learning. I know from my point of view, I'm always learning. I'm always growing and and you get to connect with others in learn from them too. So you're not just a brand coach, you're also a student. Exactly. Because I feel like we're a student of your students. 
Yeah. And I feel like we're all students for life. Like that's what I tell myself that there's always going to be a new design technique out there. There's always going to be a new way of expressing your ideas. But I think the thing is to not get overwhelmed because there's a lot of information to consume. But I think it's to just keep an open mind and experiment as much as possible and stay as curious as possible. And, you know, just dip your hands in things and see what comes out. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been great. And I think the other thing as well is the fact that, I mean, my work is is very specific but I get exposed to like a myriad of different kinds of expressions and we can still have the same conversation because the fundamentals are the same. So that is also something Mm -hmm. that's also really cool for me and just being able to again tap into their cultures as well because you get all sorts of different kinds of backgrounds that come and you know so how they ideate and how they conceptualize things is also very different. So it may be, you know, very straight and direct, you know, and that sort of thing as opposed to being all very casual and relaxed as opposed to being very bold and, you know, just big personality and everything like that. So you also see that in the work, right? Because it's a direct reflection of who they are as well. So it's, yeah, it's definitely an eye-opening experience. Virtual learning curve for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. I love that. Can people sign up to be coached by you or do you just work directly with Flux like they sign up to be a student? So they sign up to be a student and we have several different courses that they can enroll for. So each course has coaches that are assigned to it. I happen to be the one who handles all the coaching to do with brand design. Awesome. Well, if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to her there or find her on social media. But I just want to say a huge thank you for being a part of this conversation, for sharing your story. And it was so wonderful to just finally meet you, someone who I've (laughs) looked up to for at least a year. I'm like, I'm not even sure when I found you, probably longer than that. But thank you for being here and thank you for, yeah, just opening up. Thank you so much for having me. Like you're saying, the internet is so great because it connects us all. Doesn't even feel like we're in different places. Which is also it doesn't. Which is what is also very cool. And I need to come visit. I would love to visit Zimbabwe at some point. No, you should. You should. There's a lot to see here. So whenever you decide you want to come down to Southern Africa, then you know that you have a friend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and you're welcome in Chicago if you want to come to Chicago. It's a freezing cold city. <laughs> I, I have heard about that. I I don't know if I'm. I may be too African for snow. I'm not sure, but what's I'm like, probably not. No, but I mean, it's no, no, but I will definitely make my way there uh, at some point in my life, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this conversation. If you have any questions, feel free to post in our Facebook group or reach out to Fungi directly. And we'll see you next week. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you've got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air, or you want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. 
we'd love for you to join us. Search for Better the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thanks to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.